Ukulele Tales, the ukulele podcast with John Atkins. Hello, how are we all doing? You know, I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but for me, this is just the summer that won't end. And believe me, I'm not complaining. You know, for some reason, when it's sunny here in the UK, I just seem to appreciate it that much more than when I'm over in LA and it's sunny all the time. You know, it really is good to be home sometimes, isn't it? That said, my conversation today is with an American friend, and in fact, someone that I first met back in 2015 in Los Angeles at the LA International Ukulele Festival. This was back when I was a humble holiday maker who just happened to be visiting LA the same week of the Uke Fest. In fact, I only actually found out about the festival when one of my Instagram followers saw that I was in Santa Monica and very kindly gave me the info. You know, if he hadn't done that, I think my life today would be pretty different thinking about it. So thank you, Jack from Uke Life, wherever you are. I really appreciate it, and I hope you're keeping well. Anyway, as I was saying, I turned up to the first LA Uke Festival with my Stars and Stripes ukulele, which I'd bought especially for my American sojourn, an iPhone and a selfie stick. And I planned basically to make a little vlog out of my day there. Well, after several workshops and many enjoyable hours wandering around the ukulele stalls in the hot torrent sun, I took a seat in front of the main stage and was absolutely blown away by one of the featured performers that afternoon. Seriously, when she sang her song, I Put My Faith in a Man, I got absolute shivers down my spine. In a good way, I should add. And I knew that I wanted to find out more about this particular musician. Well, find out about her I did, as I ended up moving to LA the next year, and we then ended up recording a couple of videos together and hanging out a bit the next time she was in town. Not only that, but a mere seven years later, I also recorded a feature-length interview with her for this very podcast. Yes, of course, I'm talking about Danielle Anderson, better known perhaps as Danielle Ate the Sandwich. Now, I'm sure you know a lot about her already, as part one of this interview was last week. And if you haven't heard it yet, you should really go and check it out as we talk about a lot of cool stuff, including her changing approach to songwriting and her amazing 24-hour songwriting challenge, where she attempts to write and record an entire album in just 24 hours. Not just once, I should add, but every year. Wow. Anyway, this week in part two, we delve back to the origin story of Danielle Ate the Sandwich, namely how she arrived at her chosen moniker, and also we talk about, about how she's looking to branch out into the world of comedy. Before we welcome her back, though, I just want to say a great big thank you to the sponsor of Ukulele Tales, Carla Brand Music. They have provided me with some very beautiful ukuleles for the better part of a decade now, and I don't know where I'd be without them. Now, they also stock all sorts of other cool stuff, including strings, straps, tuners, capos, and other uke accessories. And if you're looking to save 10% on a new ukulele, or indeed anything on the Carla website, you can just visit my special link, carlabrand.com slash uketeacher. That's carlabrand.com slash uketeacher. And just because you listen to Ukulele Tales, you'll get 10% off anything on the Carla website. Anyway, a big thank you to them, to Carla. And now, here's part two of my interview with the one and only Danielle Ate the Sandwich. 
Well, I was just listening to our collab. And do you oh, know when yeah. that was from? Do you remember when that was from? Gosh, I don't. Maybe 2016? 2017. 2017, 2017 yeah. yeah. Which is like six years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Time she flies. You have a kiddo now, so I can't I even imagine how fast time flies when you have a kid, like a literal yeah. growing thing to watch oh, yeah. become new every day. But I don't even have – I have some house plants, and I'm just blown away every day by that. But, uh, yeah, time is a brutal, brutal mistress. Oh, no, we are hurtling through space and time, <laughs> and there's yeah. no stopping it. Yeah, there's nothing we can do about that. No, we're just holding on for dear life. Yeah, but despite that, so that was 2017, and I haven't seen you since then, which is kind yeah. of crazy in a way. It feels like it's we have seen each other because of the power of the internet. I don't know how you feel. Well, that's, that's another funny thing about time is you connect to people in these different ways, and then you, when you look back on it, you go, oh, it's actually been six years. And we only have met in real life once. Twice. Twice? Well, okay. we met for the first time in... Um, the 2015 the LA, ukulele. LA Ukulele Festival, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then we actually like hung out and made some music in 2017. 2017, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah when, when I was living in LA, yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah that the 2015 LA Ukulele Festival that clearly meant more to me <laughs> than to you, I think, but because I remember it quite well meeting you there. But I don't know if you remember. I guess about... I was lumping them together because suppose... we were both they're both in LA, but yeah, yeah you're so right. Well, it kind of feels like oh, I met you there, and I said, oh, you know, let come over and uh, hang out and do some music with me. But there was like, yeah, a two-year gap in between those things happening. Yeah. But I, I feel kind of guilty about that because I interviewed you. I've made this like cool like vlog video for um, the LA Uke Fest that year. Um, and I sort of said, oh, and you, but also, by the way, I don't blame you for not remembering it too well because you just come off stage and had like an amazing show and everything. And like, you must have been on cloud nine as well because you were incredible uh, that day. Um, but, um, I, uh, I, so I had a little interview with you sort of saying, oh, hey, you know, who are you? Where are you from? What's your story kind of thing? And you just gave me this really funny sort of, you know, cool, sassy answer. And I was just into the sort of YouTube edit where you just cut everything down to its really most basic uh -huh. things. And I just cut it down and you just said, hi, I'm Daniel Ate the Sandwich. I'm from Missouri. I just played at the LA Ukulele Festival. And that was kind of it. And I basically got all of the humor and all of the sort of personality from your thing um so yeah i i don't blame you for not remembering oh, wow. that oh yeah. yeah i get it i get it we're living in a soundbite generation you know what i mean yeah you yeah. gotta be you gotta say it fast we yeah. don't need any extra personality just get it out and get it done yeah. right um i do remember meeting you yeah and again i guess i lumped them together it's it's hard for me the the uke fests they don't blend together as far as like experiences go, but it definitely is hard to keep them track year to year. And sometimes I return. So some fests I've done a number of times and it's usually like two or three years later. So it is hard to differentiate what year I was doing what, where. Um, but luckily there's an extensive history online where if I forget something, I can just sort of like Google myself yeah, and be like, I, I when did this happen? Handy. Yeah. Um, that was quite handy when I was researching for this interview. <laughs> right. Yeah, not that I've got into my prepared questions yet. But um, actually, well, let me do that now, just quickly. The first thing first, because it is Ukulele Tales, is um, I'm, I'm sure you must have been asked this a thousand times, but just to explain to any people who maybe haven't heard it before, 
What does the name mean, Danielle Ate the Sandwich? Would you mind telling us that, please? I'd be happy to, John. The name Danielle Ate the Sandwich was uh, created by me. There was no story where anything happened necessarily with a sandwich. I was a kid in college playing open mic nights um, and small stages, kind of signing up. It was when we were still signing up for open mic nights, you know, and I was putting my name... My given name is Danielle Anderson, which is Mm -hmm. also fine to use. But everything that I do musically, you can find under Danielle at the sandwich. So I was like, Danielle Anderson doesn't have a showbiz ring. It's not very memorable. And I didn't really want to change my name, like change my last name, because that felt somehow disrespectful to my family. So I was just kind of going through a list of potential names to have that could be intriguing and at that time we had a lot of like indie bands you know like um uh, my friends were making music at the time a, a solo singer songwriter named lifeboat etiquette was my friend oh, that's Ryan's cool name, name yeah. right and yeah. then i had a friend named toby who was a rapper and his name was odom relic so i was also inspired by my friends who were kind of creating names for themselves and i'm kind of funny and don't take myself too seriously so i didn't want to come up with anything too moody i like food i was like you can put it on a t-shirt you can put it on a sticker so my honestly my natural instinct was like pizza is the coolest food but i myself don't like necessarily identify as cool like okay. i know i'm cool yeah you know i'm not saying i'm not cool but i'm not You're like pretty cool. in- I, I'm, not, I'm not like, wow, you look at her and you go, that's a cool. Like, I don't have a motorcycle or shoot pool. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, what's what's a, a more friendly food? What what feels closer to who I am? And I think a sandwich was the best representation of that. I'm going on and on about this. Basically, I made, I created the name because I wanted something that was fun, unforgettable, visual, Something that invited people in and and also offered that I didn't take myself too seriously so that people weren't intimidated to approach what I was doing. And, you know, I was young and I definitely didn't think that I would do this for my career. I I didn't in like in my wildest dreams, I didn't think it was really possible. And um, so it's it's fun. It's fun to kind of have it's like a tattoo, you know, you get when you're young and you're like, what was I thinking? Yeah, but I guess I yeah. love that little memory of myself that I'm carrying with me now and filing my federal state taxes, uh, federal and state taxes under the business name. Danielle ate the sandwich. Oh, that sounds like a kick. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of cool. Also, thinking about it, not that it's for me to tell you why you named yourself that, <laughs> but um, like I don't like pizza. And I guess there must be a lot of people who don't like pizza for all kinds of reasons, mainly like the cheese uh, part of it for me. But everyone likes sandwiches because you can, a sandwich can be whatever you want it to be. Right. Cheese, no cheese. Exactly. For me, always no cheese. Yeah. But, you know, tuna, ham, whatever. So it's kind of, it's like a universal thing. People can see into it. It comes in many different shapes and sizes and like price ranges. And it can be fancy or very simple. It could be a midnight snack. It could be served at an at a, a bistro in Italy. I don't know. Yeah. Right, exactly. They're I universal. I never thought of yeah. this. This feels interesting that you say a lot of people don't like pizza because I must just run with the pizza crew. Like, oh no, I think pizza. we're definitely in the minority. Us pizza unlo- dislikers, but there yeah. must be a, a fair amount of us. I think you're right with the growing unpopularity of cheese, or yeah. people just discovering like dietary restrictions that keep them happier and healthier. Um, I myself 
love a pizza. I love a pizza. You know what I really, truly, my probably favorite food is spaghetti. I okay. probably eat the most spaghetti. What, like uh, bolognese Daniel, or? Uh, yeah, it's pretty simple. Just like a thin spaghetti noodle with like a jarred vodka spaghetti sauce. It's nothing fancy. And I almost prefer it to be sort of simple. You know, like my boyfriend is a great cook and he'll be like, I can make spaghetti. And he does like homemade sauce and like broils cheese on top. And it's like this, it's this fancy dish. And I'm like, well, that's good, but that's not spaghetti. That's like fancy spaghetti. I want just like kind of midnight snack spaghetti. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. But Daniel ate the spaghetti kind of feels like, it sounds fun, but it feels like it would have a different it's like, like too to wacky Italian or something, or something. maybe. Yeah, oh. it's too too yeah. wacky. It's like yeah. a kid singer. Kind of. Like yeah. sandwich has a, a bit of of dignified, elusive mystery that it just there's people there's some dignity to the name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, thank you very much for answering that. Um, that's cool. I actually don't know if I have heard you explain that before, but yeah, um. I I always feel like I'm disappointing people because there's not like a story. A lot of people assume it came from like an experience with a like. Oh, and then didn't you eat the last sandwich? And that's not true. But yeah, I get asked a lot. And, um, you know, I give a variety of that answer every time. And I've started like putting it sort of like on my website because it is it is a it is a crazy name. And it's so common to me. I'm so used to it every day to wake up with it and know that that's my name that sometimes I forget to hear it for the first time. It's like, what on earth is that? Is that her? What? Is yeah. That, what is that? So, yeah. 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 Cool. So um, I guess we sort of, well, we haven't really answered it. I guess I want to know what came first for you. Was it performing live or doing YouTube? Great question. They they came about at the same time. I, I was just getting into feeling comfortable on stage um, when I was in college. So I started performing at open mic nights and um I was first in a band, in a three-piece band with my friends Brandon and Steve called Backdraft the Musical, and we were performing as a group, and then they kind of went, they kind of moved away or went to the next phase of their life because of their college journey and, and what was next for them, so I was left alone to to decide if I wanted to keep performing on my own or not, and I really did, but I was very scared to perform solo with my own songs and my own ideas. So the YouTube videos kind of started as a way to perform and get my songs out there without the threat of a live audience. Yeah. So it was easier for me to perform to a camera than to a stage. But I was kind of working on both at the same time. And I found it, I, I still kind of find it easier. Well, that's not true. Um, but I, I found it easier to start with the camera. Like it was easier for me to just kind of goof around and still have personality as if it were a person and talk to it. And so that was a great way for me to help to help me get some some performance chops, honestly, because I okay. treated it like yeah. a live audience. And then this is a little bit into my history that I don't know if we talk about anymore, but back in the old days of YouTube, they used to just feature a video video or two randomly on the homepage right, before yeah. you could like buy the sponsored ads. Yeah. And one of my videos from 2007, I think, got featured on the homepage. So that gave me like an, a huge increase in views and followers from that one feature. And then 
after that, every video I released had a good amount, a fair amount of activity on it. And um, I released my second album after that video feature and it went really well. And then the career just built from there. So I think that's what made touring possible for me. I wasn't just known in my hometown because of YouTube people from around the country and around the globe had heard my songs and my music through sharing my stuff on on the internet. That is incredible, actually. That's really, really yeah. incredible. Um, 2007, did he say? I believe so. Maybe it was 2008. Again, these years. Yeah, They're so close. It they was are. in that It yeah. was in that series. But you time. must have been like one of the first ever people on YouTube or something, if that's the <laughs> I case. I think I was. Yeah, like seriously, you know, yeah. I, it was definitely easier to be seen on YouTube back then. It was before everybody was on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was there was still people. I know Julia Nunes was was on already. Oh and yeah. And there was yeah. I think um, Molly Lewis. I forgot her YouTube name. So there there were people there were people on on the on the YouTube, but there wasn't so many of us that we were just right drowning each other out. Right. Yeah. So you actually found a an audience a live in-person audience based on youtube success that that was what gave you an audience for touring in real life yeah yeah because i had found this audience online you know some people would occasionally say like come to syracuse new york or um when are you gonna stop by San Diego, and then I would kind of get ideas in my head like, well, maybe I could. Mm. Um, and I would advertise as best I could and on, on my YouTube channel. And um, Facebook was not as active back then, and Instagram was barely a thing back then. Yeah. So so YouTube was the place that I advertised my shows. And then, you know, lots, lots of, no, I mean, lots, I mean, like 15 to 20 people would show up. Yeah. Which I think when you're a touring musician and you're trying to build an audience to get anybody to come is amazing. So to get a group of people that feels like an audience was really a gift. And then I was able to keep building that by coming back fairly regularly and um, just making sure I told as many people in the world as I could that I was coming. But yeah, people would say, I saw you on YouTube or I've been listening to you on YouTube for for a few years or my friend said she saw you on YouTube. And, and so that was, YouTube was definitely kind of my talent agent for the first many years there. That's really cool. And I guess as a sort of, like you say, like an independent musician, it, it's just you, right? So if you're playing, were you doing... Um, I can't remember what it's called, but like sort of uh, like like a open house kind of things. Like people would say, like you were sort of saying, does anyone have like a house with a big living room in this area? And yeah, yeah. we I, I was doing we call them house shows. House shows. OK, yeah, that's that's a good name. Yeah. I'm not sure if there's a different name, yeah. um, but we I would I would do those and I still love to do those. Back when I first started, I was just doing a lot of coffee shops or, or kind of dive bars. Like, okay. hey, do you have live music? Yes or no. So I was playing for free. playing Like, they weren't paying me money. Mm. I was just passing a tip jar usually. Yeah. Or it, or it was a pretty low, a low pay, if anything. Um, but again, still to this day, what keeps me going is kind of the generosity and, and support of my fan base. Because what I make money on is my Patreon and my like CD sales and ticket sales and um, 
you know, just these sort of random pots of income. And back then it was the tip jar and merch sales at shows and people buying my CDs online. So um, I don't know how other people do it. You know, there's YouTube revenue, which I don't quite have enough followers to get that revenue. Oh, wow. And there's sponsorships and I don't quite, I don't have a sponsorship that like, I have a, I have some sponsorships that award me um, materials to use and instruments to use, yeah. but I don't have anything that's like paying the bills other than truly like my my f- fans, yeah, who are supporting my music. So I'm very thankful for that. It is fascinating how different musicians have different revenue streams and stuff. Um, whether it's by touring or selling T-shirts or CDs or whatever it is, or Bandcamp. I know you do. You have your music on Bandcamp as well. Um, but what I was going to ask you actually, just in terms of you saying you sort of have a lot of little things that maybe don't pay the bills, the most recent sentence on your website says in 2023, which is this year, you were awarded a two year studio residency at Charlotte street foundation in Kansas city, Missouri. Uh, what does that mean? Um, that's a great question. Charlotte Street Foundation is sort of an arts organization that helps reach um, the community. So taking art off of a high shelf and putting it into the community. And it is a it's an actual space. Uh, so it's it was recently rebuilt, so it's kind of state of the art. They have a black box theater. They have studio rooms, which are, you know, just square rooms for fine artists who are painters and um, sculptors, uh, seamstresses, etc. And then um, some soundproof studio rooms for musicians and composers. They also have like a dance, uh, a dance studio with the mirrors and the floor and all that. So what I've been awarded is a two year residency, uh, studio residency. So I get a room to call my own where I can create, record, and um, kind of work out of it's kind of like an office space, if you will. Yeah. Wow. And then what's cool about it is I get like an artist advisor, so I get to t- talk to and get advice and and mentorship from someone who's been through the program. And then another thing I'm really looking forward to is collaborating with the other artists who are in the program. There's a variety of people. There's a lot of like dancers and choreographers a few fellow musicians, composers, and then these fine artists. So something I'm learning is like from YouTube, from the 11 p.m. slot at a dive bar, and then growing into a human person who wants to own a house Mm -hmm. and have reliable health insurance. Mm -hmm. My artistic practice has morphed a little bit, and and I've been trying to accomplish something that looks – that looks and feels stable and accomplished. And um, and so the the residency is exciting because it, it, it sounds cool. Like just when you said it, it was like, ooh, what does that mean? Yeah. yeah. But, but it is this elevation of like working with other artists. Even like you said, let's talk off, off a mic about how we make a living. So I'm always fascinated by how other creative people make it work. And what they find fulfilling as a business practice, but also as a creative practice. Because I admit sometimes in my practice, I get too into the business side and I forget the art side and the creative side. So I have to remind myself to return to both. So I'm hoping that the studio residency will be inspiring 
to work with other creatives who are making a living yeah. through their art um, and then finding ways to to return to like the creative. My goal is kind of just to sit in the room with nothing except for my instrument and, and a notepad and like make new work, make songs. That's so interesting that you would say that you sometimes focus too much on the business side of things because I feel like that's really atypical for an artist. I, you know, I'm never one to like do my tax returns or sort oh, out yeah. paperwork or answer emails or anything like that. I would much rather be doing, you know, the the, uh, the creative bit of it, the, the making the video or the playing the music or whatever. Yeah. I sometimes blur the lines between creating YouTube videos. Like performance is a blurry line for me because it's like, oh, I have a show this weekend. Do I, am I honoring the, the creative practice of trying out a new song, thinking of a very cultivated set list? Am I in the spirit of like who, who I'm going to be on stage and the stories I'm going to tell? But for me, it's not true anymore because I really took a break because of COVID, but also because I slowed down sort of my touring schedule, but I don't play enough now to just be able to sort of do it mindlessly. But, mm. you know, when you're on tour and you're playing every night, you try to make it special, but sometimes it's like, I didn't practice today. I'm just going to get up there and do do the thing. Do what you did I yesterday the, kind of thing. Or, yeah, yeah, I do this every mm. day. I don't really need to think about it. And so for me, I have to remind myself to be intentional, like to get on stage as a gift. Yeah. And your gift is to express yourself in front of people. So like, how can you make sure you're not just going through the motions of that? And I think that's hard because as humans, we are creatures of habit and as professionals, we get good at what we do. So it is kind of like putting a rock in my shoe to be like, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, like yeah. always make sure you're challenging yourself and thinking, thinking deeply about what you're doing. Um, so just, this might be a too big of a tangent, but I'm, I'm recently, getting more into comedy performances and no that's that was literally my next question i, okay. I really want to yeah. talk about that actually yeah because i was gonna say it doesn't seem to be much about it on your website but you do mention it a bit on your facebook and stuff yeah so i'm i'm starting to do I, I have been doing improv comedy for a few years now and i'm starting to do these solo performances as characters i create who perform songs so kind of comedy songs in character improvised songs or uh they're written. written. They're written. Okay. Okay. No, yeah. Um, I'm noticing that it's hard for me to separate that from my music. And and so I'm you said it's not on my website. I'm it's like hard for me to know like, is this okay to advertise on my musical website? So I'm I'm still like doubting myself as an artist in those ways because it's like my folk music, my Daniel Ate the Sandwich project is very heartfelt and is, you know, about grief and heartbreak and joy. And, um, and so to just have sort of an, a crazy, absurd character singing about, um, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm singing about. Do these comedy characters go well with the, the business that I've sort of established as a folk singer songwriter who, fits in these places. So that's something that's interesting too, is as artists, we create lots of different things. I know you, you yourself have had different avenues for how you use your voice and talent and musical skills. And so it's like, 
what can connect back to the original business and what is sort of a new branch. Yeah, um, it's tough. I mean, like, I will say, if, if you'd like some unsolicited advice, I would say mm-hmm. that you absolutely should use your name and your fan base to present whatever you want to them. They don't all have to come and, you know, consume it. But people like you, you know, I mean, obviously they they love your music. But like you said, you were putting out the uh, the ads or the videos on YouTube and saying, hey, is anyone in San Diego or wherever? And, you know, the people would be, be like, yeah, we'll come and see you there. We we like you. We trust what you're doing. And, um, wow, hang on, I'm trying to be sincere but not rambly, but I'm failing at both. But what I would say is just do it. You have a fan base of people who love you. And you're a great artist, so um, put it out there. If they don't like it, they don't have to like it, but, you know, give them the opportunity to, I think. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks for saying that. That's always good to hear, especially from, like, another business person who I respect. You know, like, you have your, you have a great thing going, so to hear you go, like, yeah, just put it all out there, and as opposed to, like, yeah, definitely keep it private and don't offend anyone. <laughs> well, and don't, don't try too hard to become yeah. something new. <laughs> yeah, de- definitely never change, I think, yeah. yeah. So you're moving into the world of... Comedy. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? You said you were doing some improv stuff. How how is that working out for you? What what sort of level are you doing at that at? I was involved um, with a with a cast here, um, the Casey Improv Company. So I was on a, like a professional cast, which you have to audition for. And I got in before COVID, and then you know we took a big break, but have been doing that. Uh, that was kind of my foray back into performance after COVID. Um, got a little more managed and we were doing live shows again. So I was performing comedy shows before I was doing live stage performances as Daniel ate the sandwich. So that, Mm. that was a good way to dip my foot back in. And what's great about improv as opposed to what I do musically, which is just perform solo most of the time is you, you do have a team of people who are creating scenes and this is like improv is like whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Yeah. So there's no props and there's no script, but people are just sort of making it up on stage. So it's definitely not for everybody, but what I really love is um, you're with a team of people who basically have agreed to play make-believe and um, that that was good for me to practice of like letting up control and not thinking that I had the best idea and letting people say things and also trusting my own voice to to speak up when I had an idea. Um, and then so from that, I, uh, you know, a lot of what I do on stage is as as a singer is comedic. I do b- banter in between my songs and um, a few of my songs have clever moments or are humorous, but I wouldn't say they're comedy songs. Mm-hmm. So I was able to take a little bit of that into improv practice. And, and now, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do these characters. So what I mean by character is like wearing a wig and um, a costume of some kind. So I'm, I try to be unrecognizable, but I'm still probably, you can probably tell it's me, right? Because I don't yeah. have like professional prosthetics or anything. Right. The glasses so, as well. Right, the glasses, it's hard. I got contact lenses just so I could do some characters without. But so like one of my favorite characters, his name is Jer, like Jerry. So we call him Jer for short. And he's a children's folk singer, kind of based on, I'm not sure what you guys had over in England, but like Rafi or Joe Scruggs. Well, yeah, Um, I just found out about Rafi quite recently, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we have anything like him, but I know who you mean, yeah. Yeah, so me and my sister grew up listening to these these sweet, sweetie guys with 
acoustic guitars who sang like sort of silly songs that taught a lesson. So, um, so he, he's really endearing and, um, just wants everybody to believe in themselves and he'll sing songs about like him, his parents going through a divorce Oh or, um, this next, I have a show this weekend where, um, it's it's singing about not accidentally joining a cult. Okay, that's cool. So yeah. it's like kind of funny, but it's also kind of you could take it seriously, you know, like yeah. uh, the message is like just be yourself, believe in your his voice is like everybody the most powerful gift of all you have is your individual perspective. So don't let anybody tell you that your ideas and your dreams aren't worth something. So like when I do Jer, I it's it's strange to do these characters and sort of like feel that I'm giving myself a message of like just believe in yourself Danielle like everything you're doing is fine so it's kind of like a weird psychological practice of like getting something for myself out of these characters I'm creating whether or not it's just being completely ridiculous or telling myself to believe in my dreams and um, another goal of that Charlotte Street Foundation studio residency that you brought up is the development of a one-woman show where I'm doing these characters and these songs. Oh, which wow. Okay. is something I've never done as far as like write and produce a theatrical show that exists on its own and tells a story. I mean, when I'm writing a set list and performing a live concert, I'm trying to tell a story and go through like waves and dips of emotions with my songs but this feels similar but way way different so um that's a that's another goal of mine yeah just trying to, have trying you to a, move forward and keep it interesting have you got a timeline for that i don't i don't i'm a i'm a bad goal setter okay because i'm a little afraid of not accomplishing it okay so my goal this two-year studio residency will be great accountability because we kind of have to set like goals and and deadlines. Yeah. But I'm I'm hoping to like develop it in the next year and get it on stage in the next two years. I have no idea how long it takes either. I well, I don't think there's any set answer, is there? I mean it depends how what you how hard so I push yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I you should def that's something I'd be like really excited about. Cool. Um, yeah, definitely. And maybe you could like, I don't know, stream it to your Patreon page or something. Or... That'd be awesome. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to see that. But that's, but just from speaking with you, that's something I'd be really excited for you about you doing. Like a one woman cool. show. You could do your music. You can do comedy. You can do sort of a bit of both, whatever. But yeah, whatever. That just sounds like a really exciting thing. Yeah. And, and so I, I do feel excited about that creatively. And as we talked a little bit about, like, the business owner in me, I'm like, that's not going to make any money. So it's funny that that's how my business side challenges my creative side. Because I've been able to make a career in this way, I still want to be smart about Mm. the things I'm doing and how many concerts I'm doing and how many classes I'm teaching to make sure that I can pay the bills, right? So this is like... Ooh, this is going to take a lot of time and creative energy, and it's not going to give me back money. So, yeah. and and I think I want to believe that I'll be fine because I still have um, support from my patrons. I'll still be playing shows and teaching classes, of course. Yeah. But it is, it is, it's, it's very scary. I think for anybody, creative or in in any sort of industry, to try something new because it's a big risk. 
Yeah. And you never know what's going to happen on the other side. But why are we alive and breathing if not to um, put a little skin in the game every Yeah, do some while. new things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, lovely to speak to you. And thank you so much for, for all the time uh, that you've sort of spent chatting and everything. It's been really You're welcome. Great. And let's not leave it uh, seven years next time. Let's speak no, a bit sooner, hopefully. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. 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 Wow, thanks again, Danielle. It was such a blast chatting with you, and I really hope we don't have to wait another six or seven years until we do it again. Once again, Danielle mentioned last week that she is about to host one of her songwriting masterclass sessions, Life as a Songwriter, and it is in fact starting on July the 5th, which I guess is just a couple of days' time. So I put a link to the ticket page in the show notes, and I think it sounds like an incredible opportunity to learn from a real master of the songwriting craft. So if that is something you have an interest in, you honestly owe it to yourself to check it out. Now, I've had a lot of new followers this week on Instagram. So if you're tuning into the show for the first time, thank you and welcome. And if you could do me just one single favor while you're at it, please tell a friend about the show. You know, I've got lots and lots of amazing episodes in the archive Chats with some real genuine greats like James Hill, uh, Bagheeti Kamalo, Danny Weinkoff of They Might Be Giants, Jake Shimabakuru, Bernadette Teaches Music. So be sure to scroll all the way back and maybe download a couple more episodes as I'm sure you'll find something you like. And if you enjoy them, the chances are that some of your uke-loving friends and family will probably enjoy them too. So if you could maybe just subtly give them a little nudge and tell them to download Ukulele Tales, available in all the usual podcasty places. That would just mean the world to me. Thank you, thank you very much. So, then, that is pretty much it for another week. But, don't forget, you can contact me at any time, about anything, by messaging me directly at uketeacher at grabyouryuke.com, where, as you know, I do read and reply to every single message that I receive. Eventually. And again, another big thank you very much to Carla for sponsoring the podcast. Don't forget, you can get 10% off anything on the Carla website just by visiting my special link, carlabrand.com slash uketeacher. That's carlabrand.com slash uketeacher. And you get 10% off anything from Carla. Ukuleles, basses, banjoleles, guitars capos, tuners, strings, straps, whatever it is you want, just because you listen to ukulele tales. Okay, I'll be back, same uke time, same uke channel, next Wednesday with another great interview for you. And as ever, it'll be available in all the usual podcasty places. So make sure that you're subscribed. So, until next time, I love you all, and I wish you the best.